Angie's List is now Angie. Summer is the perfect time to book your next home project. From lawn care to a new patio, Angie makes it simple to connect with pros who can get the job done right. See reviews, upfront pricing, and instantly book hundreds of projects. Plus, when you book and pay through Angie, we'll cover your project up to the full purchase price plus limited damage protection with our happiness guarantee. Check out Angie.com and for more on the happiness guarantee, go to Angie.com forward slash happiness hyphen guarantee.htm. Grand Canyon University, a Christian university, is one of the largest and fastest growing universities in the country, offering over 200 engaging programs online. GCU invests in high demand areas such as nursing, teaching, and the sciences. Students engage with faculty who become partners in your success. GCU's online students received over $100 million in scholarships in 2020. Visit gcu.edu slash myoffer to see the scholarships you qualify for. Hello there, and good evening, my fellow true crime enthusiasts, and welcome to the first ever episode of True Crime Spirit. I am your host, Brandy Michelle, and just like you, I too am obsessed with true crime. So much so that I have binged every true crime podcast out there, and I am still craving more. So I've decided that I will satisfy my true crime needs by creating my own podcast. So each week, I will bring you not only tales of crimes, but conspiracies, cults, and other creepy lore. Now, while I tell these tales, I will be enjoying a different type of spirit each week. Because let's face it, people do awful things to each other, and we really do need a healthy dose of alcohol to wash that reality down. So speaking of, this week I will be drinking an oldie but a goodie. A classic rum and coke made with Kraken Black Spice Rum and Coca-Cola Zero because I gotta worry about calories trying to get that summer figure going on. So without further ado, I will make my drink. Get a nice little crack of the Coca-Cola can. All right, let's jump right in. So this week, I will be talking about a case where a pair of deadly teens commit a brutal double homicide, after which they stole a truck and went on the run. However, that was short-lived because they were captured just 17 hours after they committed the murders. Unfortunately, there isn't a lot known about their victims, Carl and Sarah Collier, because these two were sensationalized, and they were dubbed Teenage Thelma and Louise. Let's talk about their crime, shall we? At age 15, Holly Harvey had lived a pretty difficult life. She was born into trouble her mother, Carla, was a high school dropout who had run away at the age of 17 with Gene Harvey. He was a petty crook with a long rap sheet and was wanted by the police. 
The two spent four years on the road, dodging the law, bouncing back and forth between California and Georgia. Gene was a violent and jealous drunk. He often took his insecurities out on Carla. Carla once told how Gene saw her talking to another man and approached the two. He punched the man and dragged Carla back to the hotel room where he had beaten her so badly he broke her nose. When she finally got up the courage to leave him, Carla and Holly returned to her parents' home. It was reported that Holly was abused since birth by her drug-addicted mother who had been in and out of jail and was actually serving a three-year prison sentence for possession of Holly's father, who hadn't actually been around all that much during her life, had recently gotten into an accident that left him paralyzed. He was just wasn't able to care for Holly. By all accounts, Holly was a troubled teen and was reported to have suffered from depression. She had been on antidepressants, but once she moved in with her grandparents, they took her off of them, so Holly was left to self-medicate with drugs and alcohol. Holly befriended another troubled teen, 16-year-old Sandra Ketram. Sandy didn't have the easiest childhood either. Her mother had abandoned her as a toddler. She had three stepmothers, and the second of which was accused of physically abusing her. According to a statement given by her father in court, Sandra often ran away from home and was on, on probation for drug use. He also admitted that Sandra would hide knives in her room when she became upset. Sandra and Holly were introduced to each other through a mutual acquaintance while they were both in middle school. And when Sandra and Holly became friends, they felt an instant connection. Sandra knew from a young age that she was different and she confided in Holly, admitting that she was gay. But Holly accepted her and they became fr best friends. Shortly after which, a romance blossomed. Now, in small town Georgia, not unlike most southern states, not surprisingly, they were pretty hostile to the teens. One account of their story says they were regularly called derogatory names from moving cars and kids picked on them. So the two teens would often skip school together and hang out in the woods and smoke pot and cuddled. Together, the two soon turned to harder drugs, speed and meth. In April of 2003, she was sent to live with her grandparents, Carl and Sarah Collier. They were beloved members of their small town where they knew everyone and everyone knew them. 
The two had been married since 1951, and they lived in a white brick house in the Newton Plantation subdivision on the edge of town. Carl was a house painter and was unable to father children, so he and his wife adopted first a boy, Kevin, in 1965, and then Carla, the troublemaker, in 1967. And like many in the South, they were devout Christians. Now, in all of my research for this case, I noticed that Carl and Sarah seem to have gotten lost in the brutality of this murder. I can't really seem to find that much information on them, aside from what I'd already mentioned. By all accounts, they seemed to be very well-liked in their community, and they were very loving people. Now, I did find a couple of sources that talked about Sarah in probably not the best light, but it had to do with Carla growing up, and it had to do with how she was with Holly, and it really seemed like Holly was taking after her mother. She was headstrong, defiant, rebellious. Um, she was abusing drugs and alcohol, and as was her mother when she was that age. So I can't I can't really hold it against her when she's got her hands full with a rebellion, rebellious teen. Um, but I just wish there was more information about them, I guess. That's a little upsetting to me because I feel like the crimes should never be solely about the criminals. It should be be about the victims as well. Now, when Holly started living with her grandparents, they weren't very accepting of her relationship with Sandra, naturally. They also didn't like that Holly would smoke pot in her room, and just like a typical rebellious teen, she mostly just did that to piss them off. But not long after Holly moved in, Carl and Sarah put their foot down and banned Sandra from stepping foot in their home. And this fueled her rebellion and her depression. Holly wrote a poem describing how depressed she'd been and how she constantly cried herself to sleep because the Colliers had ordered her to stop seeing Sandra and insisted she stop using drugs. Now, I'm going to play a little bit of a devil's advocate here. I mean, she's a teenage girl reported to be suffering from depression. She's not getting treatment from that. So I could see how everything seems like a drastic emergency, you know, how it's so much worse than it would have been had she still been able to receive her treatments, to continue to take her medication. Um, I, 
I feel for her a little bit because it seems that she was having a hard time um, overcoming this diagnosis on her own. During her stay with her grandparents, she became increasingly abusive towards them and even began to make death threats. At one point, it had gotten so bad that Carl told his son, Kevin, on July 27th, 2004, just a week before the incident, that Holly wanted him dead. And Holly or Sandy, neither of them were very secret, secretive about their intentions. The girls were even brazen enough to tell their friends that they were going to kill Holly's grandparents. I mean, both girls were actively looking for a gun. They'd ask whoever they knew how to obtain one so that they could carry out their plans. Although they didn't succeed in finding one, but they didn't let that hamper their plans. And on August 2nd, 2004, the girls finally decided to act out their threats. At about 11 p.m. on the night of Sunday, August 1st, Sandra slipped in through the basement of 226 Plantation Drive. The girls locked themselves inside Holly's room. They made love and smoked some pot. Around 2 a.m., the two snuck out and went to a friend's apartment and spent the next three hours smoking joints laced with crack. That's a little insane to me. I mean, they were so young. I just, I've seen some teens go out of control and smoke pot and abuse alcohol, but the thought of 16 year olds getting their hands on crack, that's insane to me. I, I don't know why, it just, it just seems so young to be doing such a hard drug. Now, at 5.30 p.m., their friend drove the girls back. They then snuck back into the Collier's basement and locked themselves in Holly's room again. Now, they spent the day listening to music, smoking cigarettes, they would squirt air freshener into the air vents to disguise the smell while hiding the butts in Coke can ashtrays. And as the afternoon rolled into the evening, both girls were edgy. They were paranoid. Obviously, they were still feeling the effects of the crack. And they only had enough pot for just one more joint. Sandra wanted more, but they had no money. They had no way to get to any of the dealers. So that is when they begin to plan. Holly went upstairs and returned with a knife. And the two girls took turns stabbing Holly's mattress to see if the knife was sharp enough. 
Holly had written a to-do list on her arm in ink, quote, kill, keys, money, and jewelry, end quote. The girl's plan was to smoke their last joint, to lure the colliers down into the basement with the smell, and it didn't take long for Holly's grandparents to react, and soon there was a knock on the door. So Holly put the knife in her waistband of her jeans and opened the door, and Sarah standing with her hands on her hips immediately she noticed the knife an argument started between the holly and her grandmother and when sarah had her back turned holly clutching the knife lunged and stabbed her grandmother in the back and when she pulled the knife out she saw carl lunging at her landing a punch on her chin dazing her, knocking her back onto the mattress. He and Sarah managed to wrestle her, pinning Holly to the bed as she began stabbing at Carl. Holly yelled out for help, wondering why Sandra was still hiding when she was clearly, obviously struggling with these two. So Carl, after being stabbed, fell off of Holly and fled from the room. He headed up the stairs to the kitchen where there was a telephone. Sandy finally came out of her hiding spot and yelled at Holly to go get him. So Holly gave her the carving knife and chased her grandfather to the house's upper level. As she entered the kitchen, she saw Carl holding a phone in one hand and a long fillet knife in the other. And in the next few seconds, It was just absolute chaos. Holly was wrestling her grandfather and she got the knife away from him. And just in the last ditch effort to stop her to try and save his life, he threw a coffee mug at her head and it missed, smashing into pieces all over the wall. Holly told the courts that she just closed her eyes. She just started stabbing. And during the attack, Carl was stabbed probably 17 to 20 times in his face, on his shoulders, and his arms as he tried to fend her off. Holly said she felt something hot splash her face, and when she opened her eyes, her grandfather was walking away from her with a knife sticking out of his neck. He just said the words, oh crap, and he fell to the floor. The blade had sliced across his vertebrae, cutting his aorta. Now Sarah had suffered more than 20 stab wounds to her chest and her back before Holly returned to the basement to finish her off with two more fatal blows. After the brutal murders, these girls scoured the house for money, for jewelry, and all they found was jewels, which they placed in a bag along with some clothes and other items. And then they grabbed Carl's truck keys 
and ran to the blue Chevy pickup. Holly reached the passenger side and opened the door, throwing in the seven-inch carving knife smeared from point to handle with fresh blood. She slid onto the seat as her best friend and her lover, Sandra, climbed in through the driver's door. Now, Sandra held the truck's key, but she was shaking so violently, all she could do was stab at the ignition. So Holly leaned over. She took Sandra's slick hand, holding them tight, keeping them cupped in hers. She guided Sandra's fingers towards the ignition. The key slid straight in. And as the car backed down out of the back, backed out of the driveway, Holly took one last look at her grandparents' house where she had so many terrible memories. Holly and Sandra chain-smoked Newports as they tried to figure out what to do next. They had nowhere to go, and they had to get cleaned up. The truck's extended cab filled with the smell of blood, which coated Holly's face, her hair, hands, arms, her t-shirt and jeans were completely soaked through. And later when she undressed, she found that she had blood in her underwear, her socks, and even inside her shoes. Immediately, the girls decided they were going to drive to Griffin and they called a friend, a girl by the name of Sarah Polk, who was also 16, and they decided to go to her house. But when Sarah took open the door and took a look at them, she was terrified. I mean, they were covered in blood, and Holly told her what happened. Holly admitted to her that she killed her grandparents and that they were, quote, free. The pair asked Sarah if they could shower. She told them no, and they had to leave. And Sarah told her mom to call 911. At 7.32, the Fayette County Sheriff's Department received the following call. This is Spalding County. We need a residence checked on to check the welfare of two subjects in your county. Okay, what's the address? 226 Plantation Drive. This would be the residence of Sarah and Carl Collier. Okay, and what's the problem? Earlier today, their granddaughter was at a friend's house. Advised she had killed her grandparents by stabbing. How old is she? She is 15 years of age. After receiving this call, the police immediately visited the Collier's home and found the bodies of Sarah and Carl. Fayette County Sheriff Investigator Lieutenant Colonel Bruce Jordan followed bloody footprints to the body of Sarah Collier. The dead woman's shirt was torn and soaked with blood. 
She was still wearing her glasses, and her eyes and mouth were open, as if she was frozen in mid-scream. Now, Fayette County Sheriff Randall Johnson, who said, I've never seen a crime this serious in 28 years of being sheriff of this magnitude on kinsfolk. An arrest warrant was secured for Holly and Sandy, and officers quickly set out to find them and the stolen truck. Meanwhile, four hours and 250 miles away, Sandra drove the stolen Silverado down a quiet residential street in the resort town of Tybee Island, 18 miles just south of Savannah. The girls made it just as the truck began to run out of gas. This is where they met two brothers, Brian Clayton, 22, and Brett, 14. They were new to Tybee and had just moved into a new house with their mother, Trish Pellerin, several hours earlier. The girls, using pseudonyms Jessica and Casey, left the truck in the parking lot of a nursing home and joined the brothers for a walk on the beach. They told them they had nowhere to go, and the girls asked if they could stay at the brothers' house. The mother of the two young men gave permission for them to spend the night with the family. Two girls slept on a mattress in the back room of the beach house. Now, back in Fayetteville, the U.S. Marshals Fugitive Task Force, they were on the girls' trail using that GPS technology to track Holly's cell phone. But at 1 a.m., the phone's signal disappeared. In Tybee, Holly had just turned off the phone. And through the early hours of the morning, marshals fanned out through Tybee, searching the coastal town for the blue Chevy. At 9 a.m., they found it abandoned at the Oceanside Nursing Center, just a few yards from the beach. And by the time Jordan arrived at 11 a.m., the hunt had narrowed to just a two-block radius on Bright Street. And inside one of those houses, Trish Pellerin asked Holly if she could use her phone because the phone company hadn't yet connected their home phone. And this would ultimately be the downfall in the girls' crime run. Outside, the U.S. Marshals' GPS came to life. Ping! Pinpointing the phone's location. They moved in to surround the area, and at about 2 p.m., Brian heard a commotion and stuck his head out the door. And coming towards him, with guns raised, he saw about a dozen cops. It was over in seconds. Holly and Sandra were found in an upstairs bedroom. The cops had them pinned to the floor, arrested and handcuffed. Detectives found two knives in Sandy's pockets. It was believed that the girls intended to kill the boy's mother in order to steal her car. But luckily, no one else was injured. At the time of the arrest, Holly surprised officers when she laughed as she walked past them. Jordan stated in his report that Holly acted callous and cocky. 
showing no remorse for the horrible crimes she committed. On the other hand, Sandy Ketchum did show regret for what she had done, and she told officers that she would fully cooperate with their, them in their investigations. Once the girls were in custody, the stolen truck was searched. Investigations found a bag of the girls' belongings, which contained two bloody knives and blood-stained clothes. Based on this evidence, there was little, if any, doubt that Holly and Sandy were responsible for the murders. However, what investigators and the girl's family couldn't fathom was why they would commit such an atrocious act. On April 14, 2005, Holly Harvey, age 15, was sentenced to two life sentences in prison after pleading guilty to two counts of malice murder. Because of her age, she wasn't eligible for the death penalty, and she will not be eligible for parole until after she serves 20 years in prison. And as part of her plea, Holly detailed how she killed the couple. So for half an hour, she choked back sobs and spoke softly as she recounted the brutal killings to Fayette County Superior Court Judge Pascal English. Now, I'm not going to recount how she told them um, because I just went over this a second ago, but I will say there's one last thing. And when the judge asked Holly why she did it, the teen said, for Sandy, and added, so that we could be together. Judge English asked Holly, after sentence, sentencing her, if 20 years in prison, quote, was a good deal for killing her grandparents, and she answered no. When he asked what she thought should happen to her, Holly replied, I think I should be dead. And the judge muttered, we both agree on that. I, I get so mad every time I read that sentence. I hate what those girls did. I truly do. It was senseless and awful, but... Judge English needs to just be professional and keep his damn mouth shut. You know, I mean, it is his job to interpret the law and dish out sentencing, but it's not his job to be snarky and put out comments that really do nothing to contribute to the situation because of her age, Holly's not even eligible for the death penalty anyway, so that comment, in my opinion, is inappropriate. However, that is not the battle that I will be standing on my soapbox for. So, But Sandy Ketchum, 16, who has been described as Holly's lover, was sentenced to three life sentence for murder and armed robbery 
to be served concurrently, meaning she could be eligible for parole in 10 years. That's insane. 10 years eligibility for parole for a three life sentence. She wasn't forced to detail the crime because she immediately cooperated with authorities. She showed remorse and was prepared to testify against Holly at trial. Now, as of July 2021, these girls, or I guess I should say women, are still incarcerated. Holly is serving her time at Arendelle State Prison in Alto, Georgia, and Sandra is serving hers at Pulaski State Prison in Hawksville, Georgia. Well, I guess that's it for me, folks. And I hope you enjoyed this week's episode, my very first one. If you like what you heard, subscribe and leave me a review on whatever platform you are listening to this podcast. And I'll catch you guys next week. Until then, stay safe out there. Bye! New hot and iced sunrise batch coffee from Dunkin'. A bright and balanced, full-bodied blend, brewed so you can get summering from sunrise to sunset. And even after that, because that's when you can show off those string lights you hung in the backyard. Or re-hung. Enjoy a medium, hotter iced sunrise batch coffee for $2. America runs on Dunkin'. Price and participation may vary. Limited time offer. Exclusions apply. When it comes to working at GEICO, our best advocates are our employees, like Maxine. But since she's so focused on growing her career, we hired an actor to read her story. At GEICO, I love mentoring the new associates to help them make this a career and not just a job. And with new opportunities and job stability, GEICO has been helping people grow their careers for over 75 years. The only downside? She still hasn't met the gecko. Where are you, fella? Ready to start your career, Fredericksburg? We're hiring claim sales and service agents. Apply online today at geico.job slash Fredericksburg. Offer deadline on Oak Street, mile three. Welcome to the housing market. I'm with Redfin, and I'm here to help. I need to sell my house. Great. Redfin charges a 1% listing fee when you buy and sell with us, which is more than half off the usual fee and saves you an average of $8,400. Oh, wow. Is that all? Uh, yep. I'm kidding. You had me at 1%. Want to win? Sell with Redfin. It's real estate done right. Bidding warrant the offer's counter in five minutes. Average savings is Redfin refund plus 1% listing fee. Subject to minimums. Not available in all areas. Learn more at redfin.com.